Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Greetings, my fellow suffering beings. The uh, central contention of today's extraordinary guest, and I mean that she is extraordinary, her central contention is that the better you understand your brain, the more effectively you can work with it. And as a consequence, the happier and healthier you will be. And she makes this assertion based on two levels of very deep expertise. First, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a Harvard-trained neuroanatomist. And second, back in the 1990s, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. Uh, she later recovered, but that experience, which you will hear her describe in riveting detail, gave her incredible insight into how the brain works. She wrote a massive best-selling book about that experience called My Stroke of Insight, which she has now followed up with a book called Whole Brain Living, which lays out exactly how to understand your brain and how to work with it. In this conversation, we talk about Dr. Taylor's uh, personal story and how her life has changed post-stroke. We discuss the marvels of the human brain, the difference between the brain's two hemispheres, the left brain and the right brain. The left brain is our ego center where our sense of past and future resides. The right hemisphere is uh, home to our sense of interconnection, awe, and present moment awareness. We talk about how our society is skewed toward the left hemisphere and how living too much in that part of the brain can burn us out. Dr. Taylor then breaks down the brain's four characters and describes how to work with those characters through a practice she calls the brain huddle. We explore the differences and similarities between the brain huddle and another practice we've talked about a ton on this show. It's a meditation technique called RAIN. And finally, she describes a tool for understanding your emotions called the 90-second rule. We'll get started with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor right after this. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. 
Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating, and it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15-20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you. I'm excited. You're one of the guests who I'm like, why have you not been on the show before? I don't have a good answer for that, but I'm glad we're making up for it now. Thank you. So let's start with your story. I, I suspect a lot of people may have heard it, but even for those folks, it would be a good refresher because it is such an amazing story with what happened to you medically at, I believe, the age of 37. Yes, so I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School. I was a trained and published neuroanatomist, so I'm a brain anatomist. And I grew up to study the brain because I have a brother who's been diagnosed with a brain disorder, schizophrenia. And he's only 18 months older than I am, so everywhere we went, we went together as siblings are. And I noticed as a child that he was very different in his interpretation of our experiences. And for example, we might be playing kickball out in the front street. The ball goes out into the street. Mom is screaming and he's thinking that mom is angry and I'm thinking mom is terrified. So just little differences in how we were having experiences. So I became fascinated with what am I as a living being? And ultimately, he would be diagnosed with the brain disorder schizophrenia. So I was fascinated with how does our brain create our perception of reality? And so that's what I was doing at, at Harvard Medical School. And then at the age of 37, a blood vessel exploded in the left hemisphere of my brain. And I got to watch through the eyes of a scientist, my left hemisphere deteriorates circuit by circuit, ability by ability, to the point where I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So I essentially became an infant in a woman's body. And then it, it took, uh, I had brain surgery, and they removed a blood clot the size of a golf ball from that left hemisphere. And then it took eight years for me to use my right brain to rebuild all the abilities of my left hemisphere. I appreciate very much the <laughs> concision of your retelling of that story. <laughs> Let me jump in back into the timeline a little bit and ask some questions. So the moment you're sitting there, you say, watching your left brain deteriorate, how did you know what you were watching? 
Well, I knew what I was watching because I was having bizarre experiences. And my whole life has been a fascination with things that my brain does, how my brain organizes information, all of my abilities, all of my skill sets. And all of a sudden, things were what I call neurologically weird. And, you know, whenever something neurologically weird would happen to me, it gains my attention. And I'm curious at a neurological level, I wonder what cells are involved in that processing because I'm a neuroanatomist. So I think in terms of cells and every ability we have is because we have a specific circuit of cells that are working in order for us to be able to have that ability. So for me on the morning of the stroke, I'm on my exercise machine and I'm looking at my hands and my hands are looking like primitive claws instead of my hands, then I know that that's a perception of reality shift that has happened. And I'm thinking, well, which cells is that? What's actually going on inside of my brain? So I was kind of my own case study for four hours. Were you fascinated, terrified, toggling between the two? I had no terror. I was absolutely 100% fascinated. What was it like to be an infant in a woman's body? It was actually very peaceful. In the absence of the left hemisphere, which is my identification of me, the individual, as a self, as an individual person, in relationship to the external world, in the absence of that, which was now swimming in a pool of blood, I lost all the stress of my relationship with the external world. So I, I lost my experience of, of any stress related to my job or any stress related to any of my relationships or any stress related to any, I'm behind, I'm late, I'm, you know, none of that was there. So it was really very peaceful and beautiful. But it was clear that even though I perceived myself to be perfect, whole, and beautiful just the way that I was, other people in the external world were freaking out. So this sounds to me, and I, I want to say I am, as a meditator, I am I am making no claims to enlightenment here, but this sounds to me, as somebody who interviews gurus and the like for a living, this sounds to me like an enlightenment experience, although it's also a medical experience. Well, I think it's really important to remember that as a neuroanatomist, I'm a firm believer that every ability we have is because we have brain circuitry that manifests our ability to have that experience. So if we are capable of having an enlightened experience, then which cells inside of our brain are we actually using to have that experience as opposed to which cells might we be using when we're here having a, a conversation with one another. It's going to be different cells manifesting different abilities. So I want to talk in a moment about the difference between the left and the right brain and how that might map onto what listeners to this show, many of them might understand as kind of the movement away from the ego and towards a sense of <laughs> and this is the apex predator of spiritual cliches, but oneness with the universe. Having said that, though, just before I get to that, I'm curious, as your ego was dissolving because your left hemisphere of your brain was, as you say, in a pool of blood and therefore going offline, how could it not struggle in a way that would lead to fear? Oh, that was swimming in a pool of blood. <laughs> 
I was very fortunate that the group of cells in my left brain that would be freaking out, oh my God, I'm incapacitated, I can't speak, my perception of reality has shifted, I can't understand numbers, much less dial a phone. There was no fear related to that. And I was very blessed that those were some of the cells that were offline because I had a hemorrhage. And a hemorrhage is when the blood escapes from a blood vessel. And we have the blood-brain barrier, which is a collection of glial cells, we call it glue, glial cells, that separate the neurons, the conducting nerve cells, to the blood. And we have that barrier because when blood cells come in direct contact with the neurons, it either kills them or forces them to go offline. They are no longer functional. So because that happened inside of that portion of my brain, I simply didn't have the automatic fear response that would be natural. And on top of that, I'm a scientist who studies the brain and thinks in terms of cells and circuits. So I was fascinated with what's going on and just mapping, trying to create the own mapping inside of my own brain. And I think that that was a disadvantage for me on the morning of the stroke because I was so curious about it. I didn't just immediately go for help until a little bit later, but I do think it was a tremendous advantage in my process of recovery. Yeah, I also think it's been to the benefit of humanity that you (laughs) (laughs) studied this and wrote about it and are here talking about it now. Thank you. As I listen to you talk, I realize that I have spent an insufficient amount of time, especially for somebody in the, you know, mental health, wellness, contemplative zone, marveling at the brain. The human brain, as I listen to you talk, and we're just scratching the surface, and I'm telling you nothing you don't already know, of course, but the human brain, to state the blazingly obvious, is amazing. Oh, we are so fortunate that we have one, especially when it works well. I think it's a miracle that any two of us can communicate at all. A true miracle. I'm over here, this life force collection of all these cells, and my cells are organized in such a way that you're another blob over there with your own 50 trillion cells, which are all molecular geniuses, and we are similar enough in how our cells are organizing their circuitry that we can actually talk to one another. I mean, what a phenomenon is that? Just the miracle of life. Yes. And is it the most complex collection of cells in the the known universe, the human brain? Well, I'm going to guess so. I mean, the thing about the brain is every ability we have is because we have these cells. And when these cells are functioning in circuits correctly, then we have ability. I have the ability to speak or to understand when you speak, but not just to understand the words, but I have the ability to experience the intonation of your voice, the emotional content. I can make decisions on whether or not you're telling me the truth based on different pieces of the puzzle of what language is. Is your affect, your emotional content, Uh, synonymous going in line with what the actual words are. So it's this magnificent collection of all these neurons interacting with one another in delicate arrays of neurons that allow us to have this human life. Let me get down to the content of your new book. We touched on this a little bit, but I I think it's worth going back to in, in more specificity. The difference between the left and the right brain. 
Can you walk us through these two important halves of our brain? Yeah. For me, in my experience, I'm going to boil it down to two fundamental differences. I, me, the individual, my identity exists in my left hemisphere. My left hemisphere has my ego center. Wipe out that group of cells, which happened after the stroke. And I, Jill Bolte-Taylor, I simply did not exist anymore. But I was still alive. But Instead of being all focused on me and where I begin and where I end and what I like and what I don't like and my relationship of me to the external and the societal norm, that part of me got wiped out. But what I gained in the absence of that individuation was I was this life force as big as the universe. I no longer had that group of cells in my left orientation area that defined the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. I mean, how do I know that that these lips are my lips, but these glasses, even though they live on my face all day, they're not of me. They're not a part of who I am. And that's because my left hemisphere tells me through a holographic image of myself, where I begin and where I end. Well, in the absence of that, I felt as big as the universe on the morning of the stroke. I was an energy ball. I'm life. And the life doesn't just begin and end at the matter of what I am. It's the movement of the particulate stuff within me and the energy field around me. That's the first biggest difference. I exist in my left hemisphere, the individual. But the other big difference is that the right hemisphere, it's right here, right now, processing this big picture perspective. I become a part of all the energy around me because that's what I am. And then the left hemisphere comes in and says, okay, now we're going to differentiate all that stimulation and we're going to start categorizing, organizing, making sense out of it. We're going to create language so we can talk about it. We're going to make me an individual so I become separate from the whole because I'm completely non-functional if I'm just like you. And that way then we have the capacity to be individuals and have those differences. And it takes all of it. I mean, that's the whole beauty of being human is we have these two magnificent hemispheres and whole brain living is evolutionarily the ultimate goal. I'm going to read something to you that you wrote and get you to talk about it a little bit. By having both of these hemispheres working together inside one head, we experience a natural duality. As a result, it is normal for us to endure an ongoing internal conflict based completely on the two uniquely autonomous perspectives of our left and right brains. How does that natural duality, this internal conflict, play out in our day-to-day lives? Oh, well, uh, value structure really is pretty much what that boils down to. So if I'm in my right hemisphere and I'm in the present moment and I'm having this big picture experience where I'm a part of humanity and I care about humanity as brothers and sisters on this planet in relationship with this gorgeous planet and I care about climate change because, oh my gosh, without a planet, we have no humanity— And that's a part of my value structure. And so in my spare time, I'm a volunteer for climate change and I'm doing all these things. But then let's say my kid who's in college in New York and I'm in the Midwest calls me up and says, mom, why don't you come uh, for the weekend? And I'm thinking, okay, uh, yeah, that sounds great. I'd like to come for the weekend. But then I have to start calculating, well, what is my carbon print? And do I really want to just jump on an airplane and for the whim of it, go back? 
back and add more pollution to the planet. So just at that most basic level of how do I protect humanity as a whole? How do I focus on the whole rather than on me, the individual? Because the left hemisphere is about me, the individual. It's about that I have individuation there. So I care about accumulating. I care about doing more. I care about getting more. I care about my house being bigger. I care about my bank account being bigger. I care about all those values wrapped around me, the individual, versus the values of me as a piece of this planet. It is, for many of us, one of, if not the core struggles of life balancing these competing imperatives. What is, you use this term a lot in the book, the hero's journey? What is that? The hero's journey, well, first of all, I think we all are very familiar with a hero's journey where we are presented with a challenge. And that challenge might be, I have a drug addiction. It might be, I'm not very nice to my spouse. It might be whatever it is. But we're set up with a journey and a challenge. And I either accept that challenge or I don't. And often at the level of the brain, as I perceive the journey, is I have something that I would like to create as a change. So if I decide to go upon that hero's journey, then I have to be willing to set me, the individual, down It's not about me. It's not about my pain. might be my addiction. We can use addiction as an example. But I'm willing to lay that down and step out of me, the individual, literally into the consciousness of my right hemisphere where I can find peace. There is peace and joy and love and support and the experience of nourishment and the experience of self-soothing in our right hemisphere. And our pain that is related to uh, the past or our fears of the future, that's all in that linear left hemisphere. So from my perspective, the hero's journey is the willingness to accept a challenge that allows me, the individual, to set down my individuational needs in order to actually step into the part of me that is connected to the bigger picture whole. So I am very attracted to what you're describing here as the hero's journey, moving in some ways from the left to the right. And yet, we do need to take care of ourselves and we don't want to be doormats. So how do you reckon we navigate that balance? Well, I think then we go back to what are the skill sets of my whole brain? You know, I am an individual and I need to take care of me. And yet man is not an island. Man is a part of a community. Okay, so which community is that? Both. It's both. I'm a part of an external community that I need to nurture those relationships. I play a role inside of society. I make my own decisions, right, wrong, good, bad, based on the social norm and how I'm going to fit myself into that. That's all very left-brain structure. But then also how do I self-soothe myself? How do I give care and compassion and allow myself to shift out of that stress circuitry? Because the stress circuitry is of that left hemisphere and step out of that stress circuitry into the present moment experience. And the present moment right here, right now, this is a beautiful moment. And in this moment, whatever I am, I'm alive. And I might have illness in my body. I might have sadness in my heart. I might have 
anger or fear or hostility inside of my left hemisphere experience, but I always have the power to choose to bring my mind to the present moment. And in the present moment, there's peace. Because in the present moment, when we approach life with curiosity, instead of all of this judgment of right, wrong, good, bad, where do I fit on the scale of hierarchy and how do I fit myself into an external structure, when I allow myself to experience the present moment and to explore and to be, this is kind of like the refueling of the battery because I allow myself the restful time of refueling, of simply being present with myself, with my body. What do I need? What am I feeding myself? Am I getting plenty of sleep? Am I getting movement? Am I being playful with people I love? There's all this capacity in the brain. And biologically speaking, our challenge, the evolution of humanity, is this building of the bridge between time spent in that left hemisphere, burning the energy, and time in the right hemisphere, refueling the machine so that we have the energy to burn. And in our society, we are so skewed to the values of our left hemisphere that we're just burning all the energy. And we're taking pride in it. You know, oh, I function on four hours of sleep a night, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. but you're burning the system down into lack of possibility. And the right hemisphere opens us up to all possibility. So that's why, to me, this book is so important on whole brain living. It's how do I look at what I have inside of this magnificent head and how do I use all of those different pieces in order to bring balance and communication in inside of my own head. So in an instant, I have the power to choose moment by moment who and how I want to be in the world. We're going to get pretty deep into the how-to aspect of whole brain living momentarily, but let me just see if I can summarize the foregoing. Is part of what you're saying at least that if we can learn increasingly to dwell in the right hemisphere in a way that we're stepping out of the spinning stories of our mind, the me, me, me stream of consciousness, that not only will we be happier and have more energy, but our actions eventually over time might be skewed more toward the benefit of the whole. I think we will become more balanced, and I think that's exactly what you said. Coming up, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor breaks down the four characters of the brain and talks about how to work with them through a tool she calls the brain huddle. The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff 
at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash happier. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's get a little bit more granular now on how to put this into action. I think it's important at this point to establish the four characters you lay out in the book. Maybe you could walk us through those and then we'll talk about how to work with them. Sure. So as we think about the evolution of humanity, and we know that we have a reptilian portion of our brain, and the reptile portion is a portion that we share with reptiles. And this is pretty much the brainstem region, and it's pretty much on-off switches. I'm hungry, I eat, I'm done. I'm thirsty, I drink, my brainstem tells me to stop drinking. Otherwise, I would drink myself to death. I think that's a fascinating point. But anyway, so we have these on-off switches of reptilian. And then the primary difference between a reptile and a mammal is the addition of new tissue on top. And then the new tissue is emotional limbic tissue. And so this is now the mammal. So the mammals are running around with this limbic tissue. And then kinks are getting worked out between the new tissue added on top and the reptilian tissue below. And new species form based on which groups of cells get brought into the new species. And then the human is when new tissue gets added on top of the limbic emotional tissue. And that then is neocortex, new cortex. And so that which distinguishes a human from other mammals is the addition of this neocortex. And so let's look at the anatomy of the brain and say, okay, we have four very specific modules of cells. We have emotion in the right hemisphere and on the left hemisphere, and we have this tissue, this thinking tissue added on top of the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere. So what happened for me as a neuroanatomist, a brain scientist who lost the left hemisphere, which was pretty much dominant, we live in a skewed to the left brain dominant society. When I lost that portion of my brain, I didn't go unconscious. I simply lost the left thinking tissue and the left emotional tissue of my brain. And it was perfect. It was fantastic. I was right here, right now. I had no relationship to Jill Bolte-Taylor other than I looked like her. I would eventually sound like her. Eventually, I would evolve into her identity. But as far as I was concerned, that girl died that day. 
And in the absence of her, I felt this incredible excitement and peacefulness of the present moment. And so the emotional tissue is the experience of the present moment. And then the thinking tissue is the thinking connectivity of me as this big ball of energy connected to the big ball of energy all that is. So what that really means is that my consciousness, my conscious perspective is no longer filtered through Jill Bolte-Taylor and her likes and dislikes of her left brain. But now it's just like this explosion of, oh my gosh, I'm alive. And it was fantastic there. (laughs) So let's say um, practically, what did that mean? Okay, I'm a brain scientist. I teach cadaver lab. I teach cellular tissue. I teach uh, brain tissue. And so I could have sculpted for you a perfect abdomen because my right hemisphere is experiential in how it learns and how it thinks. And I'd been teaching gross anatomy for what? 13 years or so by the time I had that stroke, so I'm pretty good in an abdomen. But my left brain was completely offline and language is in that hemisphere. So even though I could have sculpted for you perfect uh, abdomen, I had no language to teach you the terminology of the names of all the different pieces. So in the absence of the language, I still had all this information and now it was untethered. I was as big as the universe. Who doesn't want that experience, right? We meditate, we pray, we mantra to quiet the left hemisphere in order to have this wide open, big, expansive experience of, oh my gosh, wow, I'm alive. I mean, that's really what it boils down to is this huge awe-inspired, wow, I'm alive. And then over the course of eight years after brain surgery, the left hemisphere comes in line And as we said before, it brings all those details. So what I gained from this experience and hopefully what we have gained is a higher level of differentiation of what is actually going on in the brain cells of these different modules, these four different modules. And they end up not just being four different skill sets, but each of those skill sets ends up with a personality profile that we all exhibit at a biological level. I love your description of all of this. So let's stay with the four characters because as you've established, we've got the left brain and the right brain. And then in the left brain, we have the emotional part and the thinking part. And in the right brain, we have the emotional part and the thinking part. So each of these four modules, to use your term, has a kind of personality profile. Can you walk us through these four characters? So as we look at each of these four modules of cells, they result in very specific skill sets. And those skill sets happen to package themselves to what we would look at as typical personality. So character number one, I call the left thinking tissue. And the left thinking tissue is the portion of our brain that is rational. And it defines what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, Character one is the relationship between what's going on with me, the individual, and the external world. So it's how do I fit myself into the social norm? Its value structure is about me, the individual, because that's where I exist as an ego. So everything, the whole universe revolves around me. And this is character one is the part that it knows numbers, it defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end, and it likes to create order 
It likes to sort things. It likes to be in control of people, places, and things. So this is character one. I have named my characters, and I encourage people to name their characters so that they can instantly identify when they are exhibiting each of these four characters. And then they can assess, do I want to be that character in this moment, blah, 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 but we'll get there. So character one is the part that goes to work. And this part of me, I call her Helen, Helen Wheels. She gets it done. And <laughs> she's busy. And, you know, she holds my body a certain way. She's got this voice. She's got glasses on. She sticks her earrings in. She shows up. She's punctual on time. She's usually up in the office or she's she's on a Zoom conversation, but she's the boss. And we all probably know that part of ourselves. And then the question is, do we like this part of ourselves? And how much time do we spend being this part of ourselves? And who else likes this part of us? And who runs from this part of us? And just really looking at that character profile and saying, here's a network that I call Helen, and this is what I know about this part of me, and I can relate to that. You know that part of yourself, Dan? Yes, the executive, the CEO of me. Exactly. He goes to work. And people can walk into a room, and if you're on the phone, they can tell if they can approach you or not, because if this guy is happening, then he's probably, you know, busy. So he's different, right? He's different. So that's that group of cells. You wipe out that group of cells, and that executor might go offline. So that's, again, just to be clear, you call her Helen, but this is the left brain thinking module. Left Brain Thinking Module, and I encourage people to give it your own name. I just call it Helen because she's hell on wheels. She gets it done. That works for me, right? But I know who Helen is. All my friends know. They can call me, and they know when it's Helen, and they'll say, oh, hi, Helen. (laughs) And it's like, "Mm, how about you all call us back this evening? And it's like what they're really saying is, I know you're busy. And I say, okay, I will do that. And I usually put it on the to-do list just to remind me because I'm running through my to-do list. Helen is very busy. And when you stop and think about that tissue, then that's left hemisphere, me, the individual. So character number two is the emotional tissue of that left hemisphere. And the emotional tissue, this is me, the individual, It is my linearity across time. So this is me, Jill Bolte-Taylor, and all my history from the past and my projection of my future. So this generally has high stress. It has high anxiety because it's my fears and anxieties based on my past or my fears and anxieties about what will happen in the future. So it's kind of like it's always on the fight or flight. It's always bringing information in. And it is the fight flight tissue of the amygdala and the hippocampus of that left hemisphere. And the beauty of this tissue is that this tissue brings information in from the present moment, and then it immediately steps out of the present moment. And that's how I can remember what I had for breakfast or what shoes I chose to put on today, because this tissue was willing to step out of the present moment. We are not just critters that exist in the present moment, right? We have the capacity to learn across time. We 
we, life as a human, is a bridge across time. So, wow, how do the cells do that? Because these are cells that have to do this. It's not just that I'm a human and I have a past and I have a future. It's like, no, how does that work? Well, that works because there are these cells that manage to bring information in about the present moment and make a comparison to our past experience to determine, does this feel familiar? And if this feels familiar, then I feel content. And then I can be at peace in the present moment. And then I can explore more because I'm not feeling threatened. But as soon as something in the present moment gets compared to the past, and oh, I got bit by a dog when I was five years old that looked just like this dog 55 years later, it's like now I'm going to make the assessment that this dog is dangerous because a dog that looked like that dog 55 five years ago was a threat. Wow, what capacity? These are cells in our brain that do this. So this emotional part of our character too, this is all of our pain from the past. This is all of our trauma from the past. This is all of our fears about the future. This is our ongoing state of anxiety that so many of us are suffering with at epidemic levels right now because of this magnificent group of cells that allows us to do it. And it's also, if you open the brain up right in there, some of that tissue called the insular cortex, that's where our craving happens. And in addiction, you know, how, what's addiction without craving? It's that capacity to crave. So this is a part of ourselves that generally manifests as not very happy because it's always looking for a reason to say no. Push away, push away. Well, somebody used that tone with me, you know, 20 years ago and it meant they were going to break up with me. So now that I hear that you using that voice, you're going to break up with me. So I'm going to push away. And it's like, this is designed to save our lives. But in our society, it tends to be a little overreactive right now. But what that reactivity is, is a dysregulation of the calmness in our nervous system. This is the alarm, alarm, alert, alert is being sounded that I don't feel safe. Fascinating. So let's move over to the right side of the brain and touch the two characters there. So the right hemisphere then, it's right here right now and it doesn't have me the individual in it. So the right emotional tissue, the limbic tissue is experiential. What does it feel like right now where you're sitting? What does the air feel like? What's the temperature of the air feel like? I have long hair. Can I feel the hair on the back of my neck? So what does it feel like, the experience? And so this is the experiential part of us. And, and there's no right, wrong, good, bad, because that's all about that left hemisphere. It is simply, what is it? So I want to explore because it's not about right, wrong, good, bad. I want to invent something new because because I'm not caught in the box of what color I should color what things. So it's entrepreneurial, it's excited, it's adventurous, it's, it's kind, it's open, it's expansive, it's collective, and it wants to be excited with others because, oh my gosh, here we are together. Let's go explore in the woods and look for geodes. Let's go play in the leaves and, and let's use those leaf blowers and let's build those roofs and, and let's just go do it. And let's go bungee jumping and, and it's just 
just all this excitement and the experience of what life is. But this is also the part of us that can really get us into trouble because put a little alcohol or something in us. And now it's like, oh yeah, let's go sneak into the neighbor's pool at three o'clock in the morning and get arrested. You know, so, so it's <laughs> part of us, it, you know, it's the whole brain. We need that rational thinking of that left hemisphere to kind of keep this part, you know, out of jail. That's character three, the experience of the present moment. And then the thinking tissue, character four, is beyond the doing. It is simply the being alive and the awareness that I am alive. I am this magnificent collection of cells that offers me incredible differentiation. I have a urinary tract. I have a fertility tract. I have all of these abilities. I can see, I can hear, I have bladder capacity. Oh my gosh, if we can't celebrate bladder capacity, what is there to celebrate, right? <laughs> I am this amazing thing and I'm alive. And it's precious and it's fragile and it's momentary and it's vulnerable and it's, oh my gosh, you're alive too. And oh my gosh, I can reach out and I can touch you and I can see you and I can speak with you and communicate with you. And oh my gosh, aren't, aren't we the miracle of life with this incredible sense of awe and gratitude that is always in existence. So that's a piece of who I am that, again, every ability I have is because I have brain cells that offer me that ability. But I have the ability, we all have the ability to consciously choose moments by moment, which of these four characters we're going to embody at any moment at any time. Well, let's talk about that. So we've established the four characters and the natural question is, how do you work with them? And I believe your answer is something called a brain huddle, which is actually an acronym. Can you walk us through that? Yes. So brain, B-R-A-I-N, huddle. So these four characters, we all have all four of them. And as you start looking at yourself, it's like, ask yourself, you know when you're in your character two. When you start growling at other people and barking, and rah, 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 that's your character two. It's not very happy. And when you're busy and you're you're running through your to-do list, that's your character one. And when you're feeling your peaceful joy, that's your, your character three or four, depending on what you're doing. And so the brain huddle, B, breath. B stands for breath. And I choose breath because breath is in the present moment. We don't breathe in the past. We don't breathe in the future. We breathe in the present. And so the first step is to focus on the breath. And the power of the breath is because it's in the present moment, it's automatically going to say, okay, I'm not just in my left brain, but I'm in the present moment of my right hemisphere. Everybody come online. R stands for recognize which of your four characters called the brain huddle. And I encourage people to practice this 20 or 30 times a day, just constantly, every time you think about it, because you want all four characters to become very enabled to do this. Because when little character two is mad and upset, 
Little Character 2 doesn't want to do a brain huddle. Little Character 2 usually wants to just chew on that angry bone or that blaming bone or whatever. And the more we practice working with Character 2 when Character 2's not triggered, then the easier it becomes for us to bring all four online. So B, breath, bring your mind to the present moment. R, recognize which of the four characters called the brain huddle. A, appreciate that no matter who called the huddle, there are four of us here and we can check in with all four right now. A, I is inquire in this moment, which one do I want to be? Okay, well, in this moment, I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit with my mom. And my mom likes to, she likes it when I'm a character three more than when I'm a character one. She wants to be the character one in the relationship. So I don't take Helen to go visit my mother. I take my character three to go visit my mother because then we get along better. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like dynamic. I inquire which one's appropriate. And then N stands for navigate. Navigate moment by moment by moment because life happens and it's constantly changing. But when we really have this differentiation of who we are and what our choices are, then we can make informed choices based on all four parts of our brain. After the break, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor explains how her life has changed post-stroke, the differences and similarities between her brain huddle technique and another practice we've talked about a ton on this show, RAIN. And she talks about a tool for understanding our emotions called the 90-second rule. Keep it here. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs. And it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. It's spring, and that means it's graduation season, and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&Ms. Uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order.
Out of curiosity, going to be in the acronym, in the brain acronym, especially having heard you rhapsodize about what it's like to be in the right brain experience so dramatically, I'm curious, what do you do to kiss that experience now that you've healed? What do you do to get back to that? So my agreement with myself was that I would recover enough to appear to be normal. That was <laughs> that was my agreement. <laughs> However, the biggest difference between Jill Pre and Jill Poststroke is that Jill Poststroke lives by the values of the right hemisphere. And so I don't go out and pursue and it's all about Jill and I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this and I want to earn this and I want to do that and I want to beat that person and I want to climb this ladder. I don't do any of that anymore. So now I just kind of exist in my world and I build a beautiful world that I absolutely love to exist in. And then people come to me and they say, would you like to? In my best world, uh, you know, I know how to say no. And I say no to 99% of what comes onto my plate because I don't really want to do that. And what I learned post-stroke was people want you to put your energy into their projects. And it's like, okay, well, I can do that, but that will use up the battery energy and I'll need to go back and refuel. So what if I just kind of stay in the refueling zone and then people come to me and I say, how can I serve you without, you know, you using all of my energy? And how do I then use my energy and stay focused on what I want to accomplish with my life? Because I have lived on that edge between, you know, the this and the that. I was a thread away from being dead that day. And so I'm grateful for what time I have. And I'm very, very focused on whole brain living and helping people better understand how they too can help themselves differentiate and through that evolve themselves to a higher uh, degree of peace. I'm curious about when you say that you're not sort of, this was not the phraseology you used, but you're no longer sort of out for yourself, controlled by the left brain thinking Helen part of your mind or your brain and your mind as you perhaps were pre-stroke. And yet, you do have an agenda. I think it's a right brain oriented agenda of teaching people about whole brain living, et cetera, et cetera. But you do have something of an agenda that allows you to set the plan for the day to who you're going to say no to, what are you going to say yes to. Uh, you do need to pay your bills. You do need to stand up for yourself. You have interpersonal relationships. You mentioned your friendships. I can't imagine that you could entirely shut down Helen. No. Oh, Helen is fantastic. But Helen's a tool that I use. She's not in control anymore. Mm. I think that's the biggest difference. When Helen came back online, it was like, we were great. You know, it's been eight years. Oh my gosh, I'm back. Let's, I'm ready to take over. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And it was like, the rest of us are in here going, uh, we're really glad you're back online, but mm, no, we're not going to let you be the boss anymore. Now we, we vote. We vote now. <laughs> and and you're you're going to be yeah yeah we vote now. And and it's different. It, you know, my time is limited. And my world is uh, pretty isolated, actually, because I spend so much time in the present moment that I am only pretty much willing to engage with people who are willing to be in the present moment. I don't spend a lot of time in the past. I don't spend a lot of time in the future. I spend time, you're 
absolutely right. First thing in the morning when I roll over and I look out the window and I look at these trees that that I have out in my backyard, I, you know, this overall peacefulness of I'm a part of a neural net. And how do I use me throughout the day in order to bring peace to me? Because if I come from a place of peace, then everything else that I touch, at least I'm bringing my regulation and my peacefulness to that situation. So I'm, you know, I'm true to being alive, enjoying my life enjoying color, enjoying my art. I do limestone carving. I do stained glass with vivid color. That's always my passion, but I'm in this body. It loves to move. I love to blow my leaves where I live in the woods. I mean, I'm very physical. I'm very committed to me being true to my bliss. And from that space, I get to bring nourishment and support to all that I love. And if the flow of love is open to the other, then we have a good relationship. But if someone comes at me as a character one or a character two and either wants to control me or emotionally not jive with me, I don't have any problem saying I'm not there. Now, if you can meet me in a more peaceful, beautiful space, I'm game to play with you. But I'm all about paying attention to moment by moment, who am I and what am I attracting and what am I giving to the world? Take total responsibility, uh, emotional and cognitive accountability for who I am. And I think that that is where we are evolving to. (laughs) I only hope we make it there. Right. What I'm hearing you describe Sounds to me, not that I've achieved anything close to this, but like a pretty beautiful equipoise between self-interest and other interest in a way that nets out to sort of executing the way the right brain thinking module might want us to walk through the world. But just to get back to my question, when you say B, uh, B-R-A-I-N, that's the acronym for the brain huddle that you're exhorting us to train many, many times a day. I'm just starting at B. What do you do to breathe, to bring you into this first letter of the acronym for the brain huddle? You personally. Oh, this is what I do. Because once you do this over and over again, you you kind of bypass the B-R-A-I-N, you move there. Because the ultimate goal is, how do I get to my four? You know, the whole point of the brain huddle is as soon as your character four is online, you're going to make decisions that are going to bring your whole soul peace, right? Because that is your peace. And that part of yourself, when you're actually listening to it, then you're going to do something that you truly believe is the right thing for you to do. Because it's kind of the authentic self, the true self, whatever, so many things we call this part of ourselves. So what I do, whenever I'm feeling too much tension from characters one or characters two, or character three really wants to go do something because it's a compulsion to, I gotta go finish that art piece, you know, it's like everything else in my life is in my way. If I'm feeling any of the angst of any of these other characters, then what I'll do is I tend to look out a window. And when I look out a window, like right now, I'm looking out a window and I have these trees and 98% of the leaves have fallen. And some of the leaves are still on the oak trees because those are the last to fall. And it's just as I look there right now, they're jiggling. They're doing this little wiggle thing. 
And I look at that and I, first of all, I see that as friendly. It's like, hi, Jill, hi, Jill, hi, Jill. You know, I see the universe as a friendly place, but it's not the leaves that are waving, hi, Jill, hi, Jill, hi, Jill. It's the wind. It's the consciousness of the bigger picture energy that is moving those leaves. And so I literally expand my perception of myself to being the wind, to being the air, to being the movement, not the leaf, not the tree, not the air, but the movement. And as soon as I do that, boom, I'm gone. Hmm. And I can do it like that. And that's the beauty of practicing 20 or 30 times a day. It's kind of like you're learning a new language and you learn and you struggle and you learn vocabulary and you learn and you're listening and people are speaking too fast. And, and then there comes this moment when you're fluent. Mm. And it is in that fluency, you don't have to do the brain huddle anymore. You have to still be committed to the practice of knowing that you can get there, but it doesn't now take you all those little steps to get there. You know, the beauty of the brain is that these are just cells and circuits. And the more you run that circuit, the stronger the circuit becomes. And then eventually it gets so strong that it begins to run on automatic. And this is how we create our habitual thinking. And so as we create these new habits of circuitry running, essentially we are doing this, this beautiful modiolus of energy flow between these four different parts of our body so that we are becoming automatically whole brain in our thinking processes. I love that. The more we practice this, the better we get at doing it. And that shows up in the brain. Oh, absolutely. That's neuroplasticity. That's the power of our ability to learn. And underlying that at a cellular level is neuroplasticity, the ability of these brain cells to rearrange who's communicating with whom for what purpose and what ability. So I can imagine people thinking, okay, this all sounds really true, but Dr. Jill, I'm busy and I'm trying to get a meditation practice up, trying to exercise, get some movement every day. How do I get started integrating this brain huddle into my life 20, 30 times a day? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it takes an instant pause to say, okay, right now I'm being a character one, right? I'm running these things. I'm running the to-do list. I'm busy. That's my character one. Get familiar with what does that character feel like inside of your body? And then as soon as you become unhappy or as soon as somebody does something or someone else becomes happy, because we're all biting each other now as a bunch of character twos. It's like character two on full display. I'm going to bite you. And then you bite me back. And it's like, well, I don't want to bite you back. I, I want you to like feel better. So I'm not going to fuel and fight with you. I'm going to come in and say, oh, honey, I got you. What do you need to talk about? What's going on? Right. And this is a choice. So pay attention to the choices that you're making. Pay attention to the time you're spending in each of your own four characters. Pay attention to who likes your four characters, who's attracted to that. I'll tell you, when I'm in the mood to be a character three, I call a whole different group of people than when I'm in the mood to be a character one. And when I'm being a character four, I'm probably 
probably out with God, and I don't care if anybody's around. And if they are, I hope they're in their character four too, because otherwise their character one's just going to chatter, 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 da 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 and it's going to like, go do that. I'm over here having doing this, right? So start paying attention and seeing these characters everywhere, because in every relationship, there's eight of us, four of me and four of you. And once you start seeing them everywhere, then it's like, oh, I'd rather be a character three right now. I don't really want to growl at my children. I want to take them out and have some fun. So then start noticing that. And then automatically you're going to say, hmm, brain huddle sounds like a really good idea because in this moment, I don't want to miss this moment with my kid. I want to get out of my character one and I want to go into my character three and really enjoy this meal with them. So let's play and make the meal together kind of thing. So you're going to start noticing it in your life and you're going to realize every moment is an opportunity to call a huddle. I wonder how well you think the brain huddle maps onto what I'm about to describe, which has been described by many guests on this show, probably most prominently the great meditation teacher Tara Brock, who talks about, she didn't invent it, but she's really popularized, an acronym. It's just the last four letters of yours. Instead of brain, it's RAIN. And it is sort of a mindfulness exercise that allows you to start by recognizing what's happening right now, accepting it, A, I, investigating, and N, it can be non-attachment. In other words, you don't believe that whatever emotion or thought you're experiencing right now is you. Or N is sometimes spun as nurturing, which is just kind of a self-compassionate attitude toward whatever is happening right now. And Tara and many other meditation teachers will talk about this as a muscle you can exercise throughout the day to wake you up out of your what you might call character one state, your Helen state, your compulsive, reflexive, habitual mind, and into something a little wiser. How do you think brain and rain interact? I think the difference is that hers is a practice in order to obtain a goal. Mine is a practice designed to give you choice of that goal. You still have that choice as a goal. But it might be more appropriate for me to actually hold a brain huddle and get out of my procrastination and get into my work. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm asking everybody to bring all four online so that I can pick and choose. I know who they are. I can pick and choose. I can negotiate between them. And they're constantly negotiating and they like a good negotiation because Helen wants to go and get the business done. And character three wants to go and play and do something that's going to refuel. And so character one might say to character three, okay, you go do that. We'll give you two hours to go play basketball with your friends and do that. And then that will refuel you. And then I want the commitment that tonight before we go to bed, we get two hours of work, right? And it's like, okay, it's a negotiation. But then character three can't decide, okay, after playing ball with my guys for two hours, now I'm going to go drink some beers for the next two hours, right? I have to be faithful to my commitment to my other part. Otherwise, I'm not having a real conversation, and I think that the practice of RAIN is a practice that is essentially the same thing. Awareness, be aware, where am I, which portion of my brain, but she's not using that language. And then the ultimate goal is to have the choice of being here or being there. So I, I think there are a lot of 
practices that are practical skill sets that we can train ourselves in order to get to, you know, the other hemisphere, because usually for meditation practice, the ultimate goal is to quiet the character one language centers and the character two piece of ourselves that is some other time and space than the present moment, bring our mind back into the present moment. And then once we're in the present moment, now we can choose better because we're in our refuel mind as opposed to just, you know, the the run of the mill. So I think there are a lot of practices. For example, uh, what does yoga do? Yoga allows us to actually use the tool of our body to help us manifest our time, our consciousness into the right hemisphere, present moment experience. So mantra, same thing. What do we do? We override the languaging going on by a repetitive, same thing with if we use a prayer, we're preoccupying the language center of the left hemisphere so that we can actually allow ourselves to shift away. It's, you know, the multi-billion dollar industry of trying, how do I get out of my left brain into my right brain? And I don't just want you in your right brain. I'm not an advocate for the right brain. I'm an advocate for the whole brain because to me, this is the tool. How do we really find that balance? Well said. Is there something I should have asked you but failed to ask? One thing I I do want to add is what I call the 90-second rule. And the 90-second rule is that from the time you think a thought, it stimulates an emotional reactive circuitry, and then we have the physiological response to what we're thinking and feeling. That whole circuit takes less than 90 seconds from the time we think the thought, we stimulate like anger, let's say anger, and then my body has a physiological response that flushes through me and floods out of me. That takes less than 90 seconds. And when we're aware of that and we feel ourselves becoming triggered or reactive, then I encourage people, just look at your watch and you will see that literally in less than 90 seconds, you can feel better. I love that because we tend to just compulsively re-up whatever emotion we're feeling through left brain thinking. And in fact, if we let it wash through us, we can get to a wiser, more, as you might say, choice-oriented place. Before I let you go, would you mind, please, bringing Helen online and plugging your newest book and anything else you've put out into the universe that you want people to know about? Yeah, my plug is uh, Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice, and The Four Characters That Drive Our Life. And if you let it, it absolutely will change the way you, you look at the world. Thank you for walking us through this. It's been a pleasure to meet you, if regrettably belatedly. I'm very grateful to you for making the time. Thank you. No, it's an honor. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, Dan. Thanks again to Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Really appreciate her time. Really appreciate you listening. And of course, very much appreciate uh, the folks who work so hard on this show. 10% Happier is produced by Lauren Smith, Gabrielle Zuckerman, DJ Kashmir, and Justine Davey. Our supervising producer is Marissa Schneiderman. Kimmy Regler is our managing producer. And our executive producer is Jen Poyant. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. We'll see you next time for a brand new episode. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. 
For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.